In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. We often talk about spiritual growth and spiritual formation, <clears throat> but how do we measure our growth? This is an appropriate question for the second to last Sunday of the Trinity season. The color of the season is green, which symbolizes the growth we've experienced during the season. We talk about spiritual growth in terms of progress in the various virtues. However, virtue language can be misunderstood. <clears throat> it can become a simplistic focus on behaviors that look outwardly virtuous while obscuring the disordered and hidden motives that are deeper in our hearts. There is a paradox to spiritual progress. Real growth is disruptive and painful. It's not just a linear progression in doing good things. We can understand it by analogy to human growth. The growth of a child is painful. It takes place through sleepless night, sickness, teething pains, and dealing with the first acts of disobedience. And then there's the emotional and physical turmoil of the teen years. These are parts of the process of growth to maturity. Today's gospel provides examples of challenging situations that lead to growth. First, Jesus healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. That's a long time to suffer with an ailment like that. St. Luke's account of this healing adds the additional note that the woman had spent all of her money on physicians and had not gotten any better, but had only gotten worse. In the face of this protracted struggle with disease, the gospel reveals a woman of faith. St. Matthew tells us that she said to herself, if only I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. And Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. After a dozen years of discouragement and pain, she still had the faith to believe that Jesus could heal her. Her protracted battle had formed in her the virtue of perseverance, which is the essential characteristic of authentic faith. We can contrast the faith of the woman in the gospel with the man by the pool of Bethesda in the fifth chapter of St. John's gospel. He had suffered with an infirmity for 38 years. And Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? But rather than putting his faith in Jesus, he instead explained to Jesus why he could not be made well. He had no one to put him into the healing waters. Someone was always crowding him out of the way. Jesus healed him anyway, but the story does not turn out well for the man. Jesus warned him to sin no more, but then he immediately went over and reported Jesus to the authorities. These two stories illustrate that faith leads to miracles, but miracles don't usually create faith.
The gospel also tells us the story of a synagogue leader's terminally ill daughter. This man was a pillar of the community, and his family no doubt enjoyed many blessings from God. Yet, his encounter with Jesus was occasioned by a tragedy that disrupted their blessed life. Tragedy was the opportunity for faith to be tested, revealed, and strengthened. We need challenging circumstances to develop true faith and true virtue. We might profess faith in Jesus. What would happen if we got sick or experienced some particular challenge for 12 or 38 years? Would we hold on to our trust in God like the woman who after a decade of trial still believed that, that if she could just touch Jesus, she would be made well? Or would we become cynical and despondent like the man by the pool? What disruptive challenges have you faced during the Trinity season? What impact have they had on your faith? Faith is one of the three theological virtues that are mentioned in our epistle today. St. Paul says of the Colossians that we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Like the woman in the gospel, the notable faith of the Colossians had been strengthened and revealed through trial. It was hard to hold on to faith in the early church. Challenges were presented by the Roman authorities and their mandated idolatry, by the opposition, often violent, of the local synagogue that had privileged status. And then there was the normal battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Faith, hope, and love are best known for their mention in 1 Corinthians 13, where St. Paul says that three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and that the greatest of these is love. However, these virtues are mentioned throughout the New Testament, often in close proximity to each other. The teaching of the church is that these virtues are infused in us in baptism. And the language of infusion stresses that we cannot develop these virtues on our own. They are gifts from God. They are given to us in embryo in baptism. And they grow in us as we live the life of prayer in community through various challenges. I say in community because virtue cannot develop in isolation. Virtue must be practiced in real life situations and challenges with really difficult people. For what good is faith when all is well? And what good is hope if there is no temptation to despair? And what good is love if there is no difficult person to love. We cannot know that we possess these virtues or how strong they are in us until life circumstances test them. Faith means trust. Growth 
in faith means growth in our ability to trust God, come what may, especially when all of the visible evidence suggests that God has abandoned us. As Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The second theological virtue is hope. In the epistle, hope is presented as the foundation for faith and love. Faith and love are evident in the Colossian church because they have the virtue of hope. Hope is not an abstract idea of a future good God will give us. Hope is the inner longing placed within us by the Holy Spirit for the completion of God's work, both in us and also in the whole world. As Romans 8.23 says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Hope is also the assurance that this completion we long for will in fact come to pass. This is why hope is the grounding for faith and love. Hope pushes the horizon of our behavior beyond our immediate presenting circumstances. It leads us to act not merely as those who seek temporary comfort, but as those who look for the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. It leads us to put our trust in the God who's given us hope beyond our current afflictions. And it leads us to share with others the love we receive from God because we want others to share that same faith and hope. Thus, we can assess our Trinity season by considering two things. First, what challenges and trials have we faced? And two, how has God used those trials in our lives to develop within us the virtues of faith, hope, and love? And this is not just an individual assessment. When St. Paul says that the apostolic missionaries had heard of the Colossians' faith, hope, and love, he means that they had been given report of these virtues as they operated within the church. We're used to thinking of spiritual growth individualistically, but we grow in faith, hope, and love as we face our challenges together, supporting each other, keeping our eyes fixed together on the goal, and continuing to do what is best for each other, even when it is hard. If we made even just some feeble effort to hold on to Jesus and not abandon our prayer, it is likely that we did grow spiritually through the Trinity season. For growth does not depend upon our faith, but on God who makes our feeble faith fruitful. As Romans 5 says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.